got a list of Starbucks lovers. They'll tell you I'm insane. Got a list of Starbucks lovers. They'll tell you I'm insane. That is a misheard lyric from Blank Space by Taylor Swift from 2014. The correct line is, got a long list of ex-lovers. That is, former lovers, not coffee shop lovers. You can't have sex in Starbucks. Health and safety, probably. If you have a mistaken or misheard lyric, Mondegreens as they're known, please send it in at VCV Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Please also subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You'd be doing me a personal favour. But I welcome you to today's show. I welcome you to the first Monday of August, which is also the first of August. Wow, what a boring fact. Welcome to our new show, Boring Date Facts, which isn't about boring facts you tell whilst on a date. Welcome to Verse Chorus Verse, the songwriter's podcast, a conversation about ideas, process and songs. I'm your host today and always, Jack James. Thank you for listening to this episode, episode number eight. Today my guest is Emma Pollock, songwriter, musician, and also a founder of Chemical Underground Records. Listeners will recognise that as the label of three previous guests of this show, R.M. Hubbard, Meow Meow, and Martin John Henry of DeRosa. I'm steadily working my way through the roster like Pokemon Go. Can I catch them all? If they all return my emails, get back to me, guys. (laughs) Emma was also a founding member of the Mercury Prize-nominated band The Delgados, and since then has recorded three solo albums, the latest of which, In Search of Harperfield, is out now on, surprise, surprise, Chemical Underground Records. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Do you have any thoughts on that misheard lyric at the top? Oh, that was Taylor Swift lyric. I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of many a misheard lyric. Um, yeah. The, the, the thing I do actually, which is much more personal to my own catalogue, is I, I make up my own <clears throat> lyrics when I forget them. So right, right in to this, your own songs, to my own songs. Yeah, quite often because there's a weird thing about muscle memory with with uh, with vocals, lyrics that sometimes when you're a total, you know, you're you're totally, totally zoned out, and you 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 know, you know, you know the song, and you're you're you blank for some reason. Is this when you're playing a show? Yeah, when you're playing a show, when it's totally live, and you're and you re- realize that you don't know the lyric, but you know how it feels, you yep. know how it sounds, and you sing some similar syllables, one after the other, which kind of sound like it. So it's like a really, I think a psychologist would have an absolute field day with that because. <laughs> It's it's um it's like a kind of insight into how we remember, mm. into how musicians remember. I've what, done what that. Do. I've done that many times to kind of cover up the fact I've forgotten lyrics. The uh the the problem with you is your crowd will recognise that you've uh you know they know the lyrics to your songs. Well, I don't know. Whereas I'm playing a bunch <laughs> of strangers who don't know my songs. So like, oh yeah, that's that's weird. They kind of fumbled there, but he seemed to say more words. They must be the lyrics to the song. Yeah, yeah, it's a funny one. I think the way that people, I listen, I'm, I'm quite bad. I listen to people's music and I listen to the music first and the lyrics second. Because mm. I think it's just um, the way that I've, I've enjoyed music since being a kid has been, I, I kind of get the, 
the the melodic shifts and the chord shifts and the rhythmical, you know, the the, the percussion of it before I listen and try and understand the words. And it's, I don't know, it might be for the same reason that I would come bottom of the class every time I did a French oral exam. Mm. Um, and and or or the the audio exam where I was basically, you know, that way in class where you're yeah. you're, you're played the cassette it's mm-hmm. in in the school class, and you're repete. Yeah, and then and then you've got to answer questions. I was crap at it. That was my worst subject. Came bottom of the class. Yeah, time. unless it was a song, maybe. Unless if if they'd sung it to me, yeah. it would have been much better. <laughs> well, that brings us to the first question of the show. Listeners know. I start off the most serious way. Such a great question. And it is, what comes first, music or lyrics? You've kind of already answered. Yeah, I have, haven't I? Yeah. You see, I do this all the time. I I come along and the interviewer has the questions and I answer half of them within the first (laughs) first time. The great thing there, this is almost like a two Ronnies sketch. You answered the question before I asked it. Yeah, yeah, you see? That's, that's some some kind of skill. I don't know what yeah. it is. Let's see if we can keep that going for okay. the rest of the interview. I think the skill is you can uh, read my mind. Uh, do you know what the <laughs> next question's going to be? <laughs> this makes the interview a lot more easier for me. Right, okay. Because you can just answer and then I can ask you a question that related to what you just uh, said. I'm trying to think of a, <laughs> a clever retort. Yeah, um, um, so you do start um, with musical ideas. Yeah, often I do. Just like sitting down with the guitar. Is that the main instrument yeah. you write on? It is, but increasingly piano, well, I say increasingly, piano's been a, a serious instrument for me for composition since I bought my piano with money that my gran gave me. This is well over 10 years ago now because Delgadas were still going. My gran, it, it'd been, it's a bit of a sad story. She'd been in a car crash and she got compensation. Um... And she sent me some money and said, uh, Emma, I came into some money and I'd like to send you something. I said, oh, wow, thank you very much. And I bought a piano. Hmm. So I, t- I tend to try and do that. I think when I get the opportunity, I'll I'll put money into getting better in music. And and so that was that was the first time I'd ever had the opportunity to kind of sit and... Because and, I've never I've never played piano hmm. un- un- until I physically bought that thing. Just on that note, my grand passed away recently and... Uh, Inherited a little bit of money, bought my first Martin acoustic guitar. Oh, after wow. oh I'm sorry to hear that. But well, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that, after just years and years of trying to get a very nice guitar, yeah. and that seemed like a good way, a good thing to put the money towards. It is. It's a lovely thing to 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 do because you think of the person every time you sit down, and mm-hmm. and it's uh it's got longevity. That it's absolutely lovely. Anyway, so yeah, I. Coming, coming right back to what you actually asked me, I do write on both, I would say now, because I write differently on each. There's no doubt about it. I'll, I'll write with less interesting chords on the guitar, but what that forces me to do is pull melody out of simpler chords. So I'm not a wonderfully versatile guitar player, so I tend to stick to my majors, my minors, my sevenths and things like that, but... I'm not terribly good with diversifying beyond those basic chords. Um, yeah, do you so, find when yeah. you change tunings on the guitar, you suddenly write a bunch more songs? Just I probably because? would, and and to be honest, I haven't done it as often as I should. I think when I start, well, when I do properly get into writing again over the next few months, I will probably start to pull things, uh, you know, 
in a different way in order to encourage a different response. Because I think I think that that's one of the most exciting things about writing is that you, every time you pick up whatever instrument it is, sometimes I don't even pick up an instrument, sometimes I have a melody that pops into my head if I'm out in the supermarket or something. How often does that happen? Because for me, it used to be very rare, but I've noticed mm-hmm. in the past year or so it's been happening. But are you the type of person that has those melodic ideas yeah, coming to you all the time? Yeah, I do. Not all the time, no. I mean, I... I'm not writing at the moment because I'm so busy still promoting the album. Mm-hmm. But I do think that you you push those buttons and you get back into that frame of mind. So at the moment, I don't have melodies dancing in my head. Because you're not sitting because down Because I'm playing. not sitting down and playing new things. But when I start to write, I'm going to start getting a very noisy, you know, upstairs because I'll, I'll end up with lots and lots of melodies it's it's like opening the door to mm. to something and because you probably have a lot of like pent up ideas now that you've you're not even maybe aware of but maybe. just because mm-hmm. you haven't been sitting down writing maybe yeah yeah and and the great the, i mean the, the most wonderful thing i guess about music is that no matter how many taxi drivers say to me i but haven't all the songs been written already and you're thinking have all the pictures been painted? <laughs> He'd probably it, say, yeah. Well, so he'd want yeah, like a reprint yeah. of a Van Gogh or something? Well, p- perhaps perhaps all the best art has already been created. I don't believe it for a second. No, neither do I. <laughs> but for that reason, the great, great thing about stepping in to that new, will I write a song today? Will I give it a bash at least? You don't know where you're going to end up and you might just, I mean, it's always about writing a better thing than you've ever written before. And it's the chase. That that's how I see it. It's you, the chase. Mm-hmm. You've got to be better. You've got to keep getting better. And it's not just because that's your duty as a songwriter. It's it's because it keeps it interesting for the writer. Otherwise, what what are you doing? I don't want to write my first album all over again. I don't want to write anything I've done all over again. And I do sometimes fall into the trap of coming up with a similar because you know what it's like writing songs. You can fall into a trap of a similar chord progression. It's just it might be in a different key. Yeah, does that nag you, you then when you're sitting down? It, it does. There's the little, little voice in your shoulder. Yeah. Oh, you've you've done that before. Yeah, or? yeah. It, if something feels familiar, if a movement feels familiar, I'll have to be quite critical and work out why. I mean, it's nothing worse than plagiarizing yourself. But yeah, I'll have like, I'll be very excited about a new chord progression that I've wrote. Think, oh, that's I've not done that before. I've never moved from there to there to there. Oh, that's really nice. And I'm getting nice melodic ideas, and then I realise it's the exact same song I've wrote, but it's got like a, a cap on the third fret. It's just the exact same chords, you know. Yeah. So it's just slightly shifted. But it's interesting because I think it also um, highlights the fact that as songwriters we tend to have patterns that we grow very fond of. And we feel comfortable with them. And I don't know why it is. Why is it that a bit like your wardrobe, you'll always tend to go for the same shirt or you'll always tend to go for the same style of trousers? Why do we have a certain amount of predictability when it comes to how we write? And I think you've got to try really carefully. You've got to be very conscious of that and try and step outside so that even if you don't like what you're doing, you know it's different. You've got to break a habit. Like I've, all, I've always said that repeatedly, you've got to break your habits and then you do something surprising and new and that's when you discover something that excites you and you're, you're back to the excited songwriter that you maybe were at the start. Is there anything you've deliberately been doing to shake up your patterns or get yourself yeah, out of Yeah, writing on piano. 
writing on piano. Yeah, it's a big one for me. Yeah, so Old Ghosts, which is one of the most important songs in the new album for me. Old Ghosts is a, a ridiculous arrangement. It's not really. If you talk to a, a, a composer, they tell you it's very, very simple, <laughs> which it is. But for me, it did feel like um, a stretch because it was no longer your your uh, program title. It, it was no longer the verse, verse chorus, chorus, verse, verse what middle, else was there? middle eight. Middle eight. I'm, a, I'm fond of a middle eight. Mm. Very fond Everyone of middle is, eight. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but it was no longer that. It was much more instinctive and freeform. Yeah. Yeah. Moving, moving as the song felt it wanted to move and not then chopping it up and making it more traditional leaving it as a, a freeform kind of okay this this feels like it it could get away with moving into a different a bit more like a classical movement moving into another another kind of feel was your initial instinct when you wrote that to sort of tame it and rein it into a verse chorus verse structure no i didn't you? i didn't want to i just wanted to record it and see what we could make of it mm-hmm. and then every time I listened to it back in the studio I was so excited because I didn't get tired I didn't get tired of it even though it was over five minutes long and, and it felt like a bit of an epic Was that a song you tried to record very quickly then? No Or no. that went through lots of demo stages and well, before you I, even got to the studio? Do you, know, do you know actually what was interesting I can't really play the piano which is why it's really interesting that I try and write on it well, I, think, I say yeah. I'm the same way. I say I can play guitar on piano. Okay. Does that make sense? <laughs> right, that's brilliant. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. Just very clunky and blocky. Mm-hmm. I, I basically uh, cannot really play piano in a, in a fluid way. So when, when trying to record the demo, I had to do the left hand and the right hand separately on two different... Oh, two I've different, been there. Yeah. Yep. It's fantastically, you know, it's, it's, it's terrible. I mean, it's quite terrible, but I think writing, you've got to get rid got to get rid of the, the 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 kind of embarrassment that you can sometimes feel at not being able to play a certain instrument because you know the thing is if you're writing it doesn't really matter how you get those mel- those melodies down you could sing it you could play it in the piano you could pick it out in guitar you could do it in xylophone it doesn't really matter as long as you get the melody down because that's what writing is it's mm. just about getting it recorded somehow and then then you can actually worry about how you want to represent it, then you can get some good musicians in. <laughs> <laughs> so that brought me on to the question I was going to ask. Again, you're sort of answering before I ask it, but um, you're saying like recording the two hands separately. Would you re- would you ever record that way or would that niggle you? Would you have to learn both of those parts to sort of record it more, in quotes, honestly? Or would you get like a session musician who can play that? Oh, I got I got a good piano player to yeah. come in. I mean, I've done that before. I mean, I'll, I play all my own guitar parts and I do play some piano on the records. Mm-hmm. But I will never touch the piano live, not at the moment. Right. Because I'm not ready. I can't play it fluently. I wouldn't be able to play and sing at the same time. The most important instrument for me live is my voice. So I have to make sure that that's free and Un, unencumbered, un, you know, un, un, you know, compromised by concentrating on another instrument. I play guitar fine, mm-hmm. I'm saying. And so gradually it's it's just come about that I will pull in my session musicians and others beyond that to play on the record because I can write a thing, but like any songwriter, 
you eventually need people to be able to play it well and build on what you've done. But the the important thing is that the chords that I tend to come up with on the piano are much more expansive and interesting than ever I would on the guitar, but I never know what they're called. And yep. that's where it gets a bit weird. So, you know, I'm, I'm the only way I can express what I've done on the piano is to simply record it and say, I like how this sounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could you build on it, please? And this is what we're going to start with. So do you think about that then, writing for other people in the band, you're writing other parts, you're thinking, I'm writing a basic building block for that person, I'm writing this piano part that um, um, well, can be expanded upon. could be expanded on to some extent. Mm. I'm certainly not passing the buck, I wouldn't mean that. Right. I'm, I've already hopefully come up with the this, the nuances, the tone, the, 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 the feel um, do you like to have quite a lot of control over what people are playing? Yeah, on? I do. Yeah, mm. I, I do. If I was being honest, um, I think that each individual element of a well-written song is just important as the song. So, if you you take some of the best songwriting recordings out there, like listen to Low today, Bowie. I mean, an awful lot of what Bowie did was not just about the song. It was about those incredible guitar parts that yeah. were not his. It mm-hmm. was about astonishing piano, uh, some of which was his, not all of it, I, I, I seem to remember. Um, but the, the point is that with fantastic pop music, in particular pop music, you get some of the most incredible parts written into the structure of the song itself. And they make the song. They make the Absolutely. song. Which is why when Delgados were together, you know, we, we split our writing credits four ways equally because we all believed absolutely in the idea that if you were the drummer, you shaped the song. Not not as much as a songwriter, but majorly, majorly. I mean, the, these rhythmical questions, the the way the bass is played, they all inform the success of a song. That's interesting, though, that you can, for your solo stuff, you want the full control over it, and you are the principal songwriter for that, um, but you need that control. But for the Delgados, you're, you seem to be willing to accept that you have full control over your part, but you're, you trust the other members enough that they have full control well, over it their wasn't, parts. Well, it wasn't my name on the front of the record, it was the, Del- the Delgados. Whereas the, the, the difference now, and, and believe me, I've, I've had 10 years of rolling this around in my head, how do you justify putting your name on the front of a record? And you do that by, well, my version of it. You can put your name in the front of a record and not write a damn thing. That's happened forever and it will continue to happen it's still valid but for me it means that I represent not just my voice but my idea of song and therefore for this record in Search of Harperfield I wrote a lot of the bass lines I wrote the majority of the guitar parts I wrote a lot of the piano structure and songs all the songs but even a lot of the parts ended up I wrote a lot of that music which was hugely satisfying and allowed me to explore the musical elements in the corners, if you like, mm. are, that, that were there to support the song itself. And 
it's a wonderful world when you begin to realise how influential these little, I don't, I, not little, but these these different elements, how influential they are. So I would write a song and I would take it into the studio and Paul would maybe say, Paul Savage, you know, my husband, and producer, he would maybe say, it's got, it's definitely, it's a good song, but I think we can do something with the time signature or the rhythm. Right. And maybe change the beat around so it's on a backbeat instead of at the front and suddenly you change the song and make it much, much more interesting. Mm-hmm. And these are really, these are really kind of like quite pure musical ideas that are so powerful. That the way the police sound, the way they sound is because of the drummer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just Sting. It's, it's the way the drummer plays. It's playing in that kind of slightly, that kind of reggae thing. Except, yeah, those, do you know what I mean? It's yeah, that, those but little it isn't style reggae. decisions yeah, it's, and it's, those little uh, intricacies, yeah, like they can the be as important. The intricacies are hugely powerful, mm-hmm. hugely powerful. I can't talk about it much because I don't have the terminology, but I know how powerful they are, which is why I've got huge, huge respect for musicians, trained musicians who know how to work in that world, whereas I come from a, an untrained perspective. And so when we get together, we can help each other. And... There's a place for all of us, I think. The mm-hmm. untrained, the trained, the amateur, the professional. It's all it's all music. You just gotta try and make sure it's as good as it can be. But you purposely dedicate time to spending uh you know, uh to working up those intricacies and looking for them. You're not just like, here's my three or four chords, I've got the melody, boom, song oh, no, done, lyrics nah. done. Anything but yeah. anything but because you can take a song and it can be a good song and then you can make it absolutely brilliant or you can kill it and that's what happens in the studio does that become frustrating to record in the studio if you are looking especially when you're getting other people involved um you've got something very clear in your head you're looking for them to play the parts you wrote maybe build on it slightly you're looking to involve all these intricacies does the recording process then become quite grueling is it frustrating when no. people can't get those no, notes no, that you no, have? No, because, because, to be honest, I only work with people that I trust. Um, and Paul, who produced this record, is such an astonishingly talented producer that most of his ideas are are very, very strong. And I'll fight them many, many, many times because I won't have quite the vision or the clarity of What's something you typically fight about? Well, he might might suggest something that feels really at odds with the song I've just written, but actually he's just seen further down the line, he's just seen how it could make it so much better. You might, you know, I might might play something which feels a bit off-kilter and a little bit, you might say, technically out of tune. But actually, a month down the line, you listen back to it and you think, wow, that's a great note. It's out of tune, but wow, that's a great note. <laughs> it's got a good feel. Yeah, exactly. So there's, 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 um, it's taken me a while to break out of maybe being a bit straighter and uh, and pushing the, the, the boundaries a wee bit, pushing the edges a wee bit so that... Because do you know what? It's, it's, never, it's never the straight application of music that excites. It's always a slight mistake. It's the, the slight mm. accident, the... The slightly off out rhythm, or the, it's 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 the mistakes that make it. I feel like those are little things that perk your ears up when you're yeah, listening to stuff. Yeah, but they're not mistakes. I don't I don't mean they're mistakes. I don't mean that at all. I mean yeah. I mean it's when you it's when you push a little bit out of the expected notes. Mm-hmm. It's like that the world of 
the, the jazz world is full of that. Mm-hmm. It's full of notes that shouldn't be there. Yeah. That's what makes it brilliant. Yeah, but it can still be like unintentional by yeah. the player, but that can still be that a good thing. That can still be great as well, yeah. But it sounds like you've got a good group of people around that you've been working with a long time and that's yeah. that's easier to get stuff done and quicker to get stuff oh, done. Oh, I trust them. I trust them. Yeah, and imagine you and Paul probably have a pretty good shorthand just now. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, although a lot of it is just him trying to get his point across and me just taking ages to understand what nerd he's on about. Right. But... I think I work in a fairly instinctive fashion um, and quite often conversation about music I find quite tough. I find it much easier to just go in and make a sound and, and find something that, that is instinctive. Yeah. yeah, it can be really hard to verbalise ideas be, yeah. and styles and you, you just have to play it sometimes, I think. Mm-hmm. When ideas are coming to you then and you have song ideas, you're working up demos... Are you recording them on your iPhone? Are you yeah right? Yeah, pretty much. If I, I might I might hang about one day and and play some chords and come up with a line or. A but do you tend to just have those little scratch takes, or do you like work up like multi-track demos as well before you no, get to the do, studio? No, I do, I do, I do, I do. Your exactly what you're talking about there. Your scratch kind of take. Where do you know what? It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be multi-track. It it has to be strong in its simplicity and that's all I need I, I don't I don't go in for the multi-track recording because I, I have no patience with it and if I have to and if Paul's really busy in the studio which he mostly is and I need to do a demo which is a bit more complicated then I will I will force myself to try and use Pro Tools right but I get distracted by the technicality of it when all I really want to do is write yep so for me, I know an awful lot of people are really interested in doing both. And that's where your Sufjan Stevens and, you know, a lot of people really excel. Incredibly so. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many bands out there that have the ability to use the technology and to record themselves as well as write. And I think that's just an incredible skill to be able to do those two incredibly, you know, different things and not get not allow one to confuse the other i just that's not me i i, I just press play i've got a tune got a melody got an idea get it down and then leave the rest of it until i know the song justifies do you working on it but you will you will write other parts then but is that done at a later stage later, do you kind of work later. on the core of the song yeah work on the core I, if i can't play that song and make it sound worthwhile with just piano or guitar, then I won't pursue it. That's exactly how I, I build up songs for my album. If I can't play it um, solo, just mean uh, acoustic guitar and play that and like the song at that stage, then I'm not going to pursue it. So that can either be a solo song or at that point I'll build up to a band song. But I feel like that core has to be really strong otherwise mm. you're just kind of wasting your time yeah you can do an awful lot pedaling on a couple of chords you can do an awful lot but it never makes it more than just a couple of chords unless you have an incredible melody and so there's got to be something there which transcends the just a few chords i mean music you can write a song if you're a songwriter you can write a song right now 
mm-hmm. immediately. Probably you can churn them out. You yeah. can just churn out a dozen yeah. songs. No, you, you could, know, chord you could, progressions. But you know it will melodies. probably be rubbish. Yeah. It will probably be be crap. Yeah, there won't be ideas there. There will just be like, like music. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, there'll be um, there'll be a, it's a song. Mm-hmm. Just a you wouldn't, dull you wouldn't, song. you wouldn't want to listen to it again. No. So. The, yeah, you the, need that. Yeah. You need that little spark, that little thing that's getting you excited. You need to be surprised, don't you? Mm-hmm. By it. And and try and like build that into a song. Or alternatively, and and this is dark. Dark skies is interesting for this. I wrote Dark Skies quite a few years ago now for um, the Whatever Gets You Through the Night theatre production, which Cora Bissett, David Gregg put together. And I wrote that, and do you know what? It felt, it just felt like a song that sat really well. Just it just once it got going, it just felt really at ease with itself and. That was a simple song for me. It felt simple, even though it has some nice chord changes and it's got it's. But it's a, it's not an angsty song. It's not. It doesn't have a ridiculous tempo or a a real. It's got a momentum, but it's a relaxed momentum, momentum. And that song felt like is this a little too simple? And you, yet, and yet, it ended up. It was a single on this record. It ended up getting playlisted in Six Music. So it just had a feel. It had a feel. It didn't try too hard. It didn't. It wasn't. Didn't want to be too clever. It just was happy being quite simple. Do you feel mm. it's much harder to write those simple songs? Sometimes, yeah, because it takes. It's hard to recognise them. It's hard to recognise. Is your instinct when, to always build build yeah, up bit, upon it? Yeah, my instinct's usually a wee bit to make things a bit more complicated because I'm a little bit insecure with the whole. Is this is there enough going on here to justify being here? Um, and so I probably take refuge in the complexity of adding more chords. Sometimes it's too much and there's no point. Sometimes you go too far. I'm always in two minds about it, whether or not to just leave something really stripped back and simple. Like Elliot Smith had lots of great songs like that, but there's a quote mm. from him saying that he, he didn't really see himself as like a solo acoustic player and like his later records obviously had fleshed out band stuff but he would say he always wanted to add more music that was what he'd say like he'd always want you know a piano add something else so there is something nice about it but I guess just adding it for the sake of it is when it starts becoming I do think I think Elliot Smith is a wonderful example of a songwriter who I can't quite grasp or understand quite how he did what he did with such simplicity. Mm-hmm. But everything about it is just so easy. And, you know, that, that bar, that kind of barroom piano sound that you get in a lot of what he does. Yeah. Um, everything felt, everything, a lot of his, his classic tracks felt like they were just effortless and just the kind of song that, you stop when you hear a lot of Elliot Smith stuff come on because the production is also very warm. Yeah. His vocal is so warm. and His guitar tone particularly yeah. is really warm. And Absolutely fantastic. I don't know how, I don't know, I can't put my finger on how he does what he did. And that's precisely because it was just in him. That was what he wrote, is what he did. And that's what's so wonderful. Yeah. It wasn't studied. It wasn't, it didn't feel... 
like a pretense. It's just what he did. No, that seemed to just pour out of yeah. him. Yeah. It just seemed to be Amazing. like a virtuoso on different instruments as Aye. well and just just songs, even mm. though they were kind of simple, like you said. So you're not a gear junkie then? You're not, not like at all. a studio Although I, I run a studio. I run, you know, we, yeah. we run Chem 19, but I, I'm quite happy with that. I think it's, I think it's great that people can find the thing that excites them and hopefully concentrate on that. I want to be a songwriter and a singer. Yeah, so and you focus I, I, on that. I focus on that. I and focus outsource on that. the kind of capturing of that to... I outsource elements of it, but I because when I say songwriting, I actually mean a little bit around it too. Like I'm very, very excited about the potential of the instrumentation, the bass line, the capturing the the rhythmical element of it in melody as well a percussive you know you have a very percussive bass line of course because it's it's as much about rhythm as anything else mm. um is there any I'm parts excited of, about all that stuff as well are you excited about any of the engineering parts of that then if, not if particularly so like to mm. maybe give an example like some like dirty microphone or get like a bit of oh, well, I trust, that oh yeah I, I i adore the results mm. that they create but I will not be the one. You're to not tinkering no, around with. I'm not. I don't. I don't. Go, I've preamps. never. I don't think I've ever actually touched the desk while a mix has been going <laughs> on of mine. I, I do not have the the remotest interest in mucking up what someone else can do mm-hmm. infinitely better. Yeah, yeah. Cause why? You've got, why? Why would I? Why would I do that? Yeah, <laughs> when you've when you've got access to a very good mm. engineer producer. Yeah. How do you find balancing like Chemical Underground and running that at the same time as being a musician then? Well, I don't really run Chemical Underground anymore. Um, I am involved in a few core, you know, jobs, that administrative jobs that help everything run. But I'm, I don't I don't really do anything of of any great note for the label anymore. I'm a director, which means that I'm responsible for it's keeping going and decisions, major decisions, but no, I'm not in there every day. No, nothing like that. Right, so that's very easy to manage then. So that, but and there are a few jobs I still need to make time for, but they're, they're just backroom accounts kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's more Chem 19 that I find very difficult because I do manage it. I do manage the studio and I advise. I spend quite a lot of time, you know, scheduling people and, and doing the job that any studio manager would do. But there's an artistic element to it. It, not huge, but th- there is an artistic element to it. Like, for example, if a young, very inexperienced artist gets in touch, I want to record, but I don't know where to start. Well, I can have a conversation with them. And I enjoy that because it's recording's a really interesting thing. You know, if you've never done it before, then it can be so frightening. Yeah, so daunting. Terrifying. Yeah. yeah, I mean, where do you start when you go in to do your first recording? Have you got to be a virtuoso player? Have you got to, have you got to, you know, be absolutely brilliant at what you do? Well, well, no, but you've got to bring in something that's ready and with character, something that's you. And, and so I end up having a lot of conversations with bands that maybe half the problem is they haven't met the right engineer mm. and they need, they've never been made to feel comfortable. And they've literally had nothing more than microphones be placed in front of them and then it's just asked to well, go yeah. and that's that's a nightmare for a young a young artist because the engineer is there to the the engineer is there to introduce them to the world of recording 
and to the world of comfort and relax you know be relaxed in that environment and then you get mm -hmm. something to build on you get the real performance you get the real per, you, you know musician yeah you're made to feel comfortable you can get a good performance out of them you can't just go okay art go yeah. we're recording yeah, let's yeah. hear some art <laughs> mm -hmm. how do you find collaborating then in your songwriting process like early on with the Doug Addles and then you went solo and then you've done collaborations with the Burns Unit, Green Pole War, mm -hmm. King Creoso. Have you done collaboration with Hubby as Yeah, well? yeah, that's right, Adam Hubbard, yep. I've got, I don't go into these things lightly. Um, I need to know who the individual is and I need to like what they do because there's a trust, there's huge trust there. You just, you've got to be so open You've got to be. You've got to go over the potential embarrassment of doing something crap. You've you've got to. It's just like that thing I was saying about if 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 you're you know, you could write a crap song right now. Well, even when you try to write a good song, you can end up writing a crap song. So you've got to, you've got to be able to just relax a wee bit, get to know that collaborator and trust. Just trust that. Give it enough time. Listen to what each other's doing. And you might just happen upon something which is both you but uniquely the result of the other being involved as well. So the Burns Unit was a fantastic example of a bunch of songs that sounded like nothing else that any of us had ever done. Because we were with another seven individuals who were all bringing something. And that, that album, like Sideshow, was just... I didn't know what to make of it. Genuinely didn't form an opinion of it for a few months. And then got to know the songs a lot better live and thought, yeah, it's definitely something in this. But it was a bit it was a push, you know, it was a it was a a leap of faith. Did it take you a while to wrap your head around what was created then and get used to the songs? Is yeah, it did, mean? yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't some of them were not what I would write. Mm. And everyone else would have felt the same. For the writing sessions then, were you coming up with your own ideas before you even got into a room? No. Or was there a lot of like everyone no. sitting in the room and you're coming up with stuff, you're going well, back wrote, and forth, bouncing wrote, off each other? We wrote in pairs. It would be it would be frankly ridiculous to write as an eight piece. <laughs> that would just oh my god, I'd hardly couldn't even consider what that would look like. But yep. writing in pairs in this house for a week, Dumfries and Galloway Arts Association had set this up. This was way back in two thousand six or something like that. And uh, we we basically wrote in the morning and the afternoon. And then at night we would share what we'd done. And um, and so you would you would have maybe written one or two songs in each part of the day. And you'd share it with the rest of the class at night. Yeah, show right. and tell, show yeah. and tell. Yeah, in front of the. What fire. did you bring to school today? Yeah, this, <laughs> exactly. this nice song. Exactly. Yeah. So we'd always talk just. And there were some absolute crackers that came out, some great, great, great songs that came out of that. But um, we, we, we bizarrely and and quite wonderfully decided to record them, and th and that was that became the Burns Unit and went on tour a couple of times. It was amazing what we managed to do with that that week. It just shows you. I think it was one of the most productive weeks I've ever had. <laughs> 
<laughs> have you got any upcoming collaborations? Is that something you're looking forward to getting back to? Or are you enjoying the solo process? Enjoying the solo thing at the moment. Um, yeah. I I have so much on at the moment that I cannot even... I can't even think about <laughs> writing with anyone else at the yeah, moment. Yeah, adding more people to that equation. Yeah. Uh, it's good to be busy. Let's move on to another section of the show. This is Under the Influence. Okay, so off the top of my head, this is a difficult one. Probably changes every other week. Yeah, today, who are your influences? I sometimes like to phrase it. Uh Aha. At the moment, I am putting together a show which has already been announced, so it's, 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 it's definitely out there. I'm putting together a Kate Bush celebration in Aberdeen. Ah. For the True North Festival. I was asked, I was approached about curating a show and they suggested another artist and I said, well, actually, I think we should do Kate Bush. And they said, oh, okay, right, yeah, wow, yeah. I said, yeah, I think we should do Kate Bush. So um, I'm currently working with a fantastic band that I've put together for it and another nine vocalists of, you know, from around Scotland and some from north of England as well um, and so I've been listening to an awful lot of Kate Bush as you might imagine I already knew a huge amount of the catalogue but she has been an influence for me since the very beginning since I was aware that music was music and I could hear and understand a song that I wanted to hear again mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is when we begin to understand that music is something that you can engage with if we're talking about the Delgados, then back then when Delgado started, it was 1994 and I was listening to Pavement and Sebado and um, Polvo and, and an awful lot of North American college rock. Um, because then there was a Britpop scene going on. I hated it. I mean, I really liked Blur. I thought they were incredible. Mm-hmm. Fantastically musical band. Couldn't really stick Oasis, to be honest, but Pulp got a bit wearing after a while, although I have to say, This Is Hardcore is astonishing, that song. Mm. That is amazing, that song. I think what what I really love is a bombastic arc, like a real ambitious, you know, Bowie does it incredibly well, Changes is one of my favourite records. Hunky Dory, of course, being the album that's, that's from. Just... Melodic pop with ambition. So I, I, I guess what I'm really saying is the influences do ebb and flow depending on what you pick up and listen to. Um, do you feel a level of satisfaction from helping to foster that um, interesting indie music at, Chem, uh, at Chemical Underground and then also the Delgados has uh, influenced countless Mm. Uh, Glasgow bands do you think about that much not really not really I mean I I, I don't I'll never know the true extent of influence I think that the reason the the fact that we've done it and we're still here certainly Chemical Underground is testament enough for me that that we must have hit upon something that was of value to people Um, how many years now 
21. Yeah. When's, next, when's the next birthday party? Oh, I think it was at the last one, yeah. which was that the 15th? Yeah. At might, the ABC? Yeah, might have been. Might have been. 25th mm. birthday party then coming up. <laughs> oh, God, don't watch this space. <laughs> Four years is a long time in the in the independent world of music now, given the nature of yeah. We're we're, we're about to start talking about something entirely different <laughs> if we're not careful. But but yeah, I, I am I'm incredibly proud of what we've done, and I guess the film that was made recently called Lost in France, which you may or have you heard? Yeah, of uh, different chemical artists. I've seen the, yeah. I've seen the hub, hubby uh, Stuart Braithwaite yep. has been involved. I've not seen the film. Is it out yet? It's not out to the public yet right. but it was it had its first um, screening festival screening in Edinburgh recently and then Galway Film Festival had it as well we were over there for that watching that has brought home a lot of what we've done uh, it's lovely it's great I was worried about it I was worried <laughs> about how I'd feel about it but I'm, I'm really what, proud what did of you it. think you were going to feel about it? I just wasn't sure if I wanted to be reminded of all the time that's gone. Right. It's sad. It's sad because the the the, the riches are still there musically, but the opportunities are not. And that's a sad, sad thing. What do you mean by that? The, the industry has collapsed. Right. It's collapsed. It's um. People talk about shares falling, and they maybe use percentages of ten or twenty percent. That's a bad day. Mm-hmm. The music industry and its related income has fallen by 80% over the past 10 to 15 years. It's gone. It's obliterated. It's We, as a record company, are selling 10% of what we would have sold in records of the equivalent records 20 years ago. It's that bad. It's that lost opportunity that, of musicians and artists yeah. who could possibly be making a living from yeah, their music. Uh-huh. And, and if you can't make a living, like, please believe me when I say this isn't about greed. It's about investment. And when an artist can't really get stuck into writing the next album because they've got to go and get a job in a supermarket, even though their last record was so well received that they played in the fruit market to a sold-out crowd, then you've got to acknowledge that something's not quite right, even though the amount of people who are listening on Spotify is is in the thousands, and they've maybe sold under 5,000 records worldwide, then you know that something's broken, because there isn't, this isn't about a lack of success, this is about the lack of monetary income as a result of that success. Earlier you talked about young bands coming through Chem 19 and you were able to give them words of wisdom about the recording process, a bit of mentoring. What do you say to young bands that are coming up in terms of making a living through music? What can you say to them? Um, That it's absolutely worth gaining or, or sorry, aiming, aiming for that, that, that it's, it's definitely, definitely and will always be the thing to aim for. I know some of the best musicians in Scotland that are just about making a living out of it, but they, they should be because they're that good. They're at the top, you know, of their, their, 
you know the the the, the range of of um, expertise and ability that's up there that or that's out there that they they are at the top of that critical claim no doubt as yeah. well. Um, so you've got to aim for it. Don't never give up on it, but just be prepared. It's a really really hard slog, and you might always have a part time job. Is there practical advice that you give them in terms of like? Oh, if you, if you want to make a living, you know you need to you need to make this album, or you need to go on tour. It's it's more about merch these days. Are there any practical things that you can advise them? You're looking very concerned now. No, no, I'm just I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Oh. Um, I just thought you were in such despair about the state nah. of the music industry. Oh, that's just a that's just a slow burn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that's constantly there. Yeah. Um, advice. Just be really good at what you do. Honestly, there's so much competition. Be absolutely focused and determined and be honest with yourself. Is it what you want to do? Because if it is, great, you're going to have to work really hard. If it isn't really what you want to do, it's going to be a hard slog and you're going to get tired and you won't want to do it anymore. So you just got to try and be honest about what it is you want to do. Find the thing you want to do and become really good at it. You've, you've got to go through the learning process, whatever that may be, I don't mean training necessarily. I just mean become really good at what you do. But then always be yourself because every musician brings their own character to their playing and every producer brings their own character to how they produce, etc., etc., etc. This is the arts after all. It's not accountancy where yeah. it's a little more difficult to bring your personality in. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe a lot more I don't know um, I think that would ruin your career yeah. as an accountant <laughs> if you ruin. brought your personality in it that's <laughs> something you have to keep it completely separate I think. Perhaps, yeah ab- absolutely well there you go there's yeah. the difference <laughs> alright let's move on uh, to another section of the show this is called Under Construction The idea is to talk about in-progress songs, so what have you got that you're currently working on? Well, this is a thing that's been hanging about for a few years, because um, things tend to do that with me. I mean, it did take five years to do the last record, so you got to bear with me. Um, this is just a thing that I, I sometimes play when I pick the guitar up and I, and I remember. So this is another one this that is something else. that's been kicking about for kicking around for years. years. Have you got recordings of this? Have you got yeah. a demo of that? It's yeah. just so that's been kicking around in your head. Yeah. But uh, do you know what? I might now. have a recording, but I haven't listened to it today. Right. Okay. So it's kind of irrelevant at the moment. So what do you have so far? Uh, well, it's it's um. How does it start again? Ah, there we go. So it's just um. So it's I, I might just add, I, I might just do a little. I might just do what I do in the house when no one's there. Right. On my own. Pretend it's no one's here. Pretend recorded. there's no microphones and we're not. So it's running. it's not it's there's no real for, fully formed lyric really. Thank you. 
quite nice. Can we talk a bit about those sections then? So you've yeah. got you've got that sort of verse that you're looping back round to. So we call it. I mean, that's a verse. That seems to be verse. Yeah. So that seems to be like the first section. Oh yeah. And then that bit, yeah. Yeah, I like I like this this change. It's a mood shift. Yeah. So yeah, and a really a interesting vocal melody on that part as well. Eventually it kind of blossoms into more fully formed chords and a slightly more determined rhythm, I suppose. And a, a little less flighty and with more with more um, intent. Yeah, and that so, fully blossoms yeah. out to that chorus yeah. that you seem to have lyrics for. Are those fairly firm just now? I or don't is know. That just an I idea? don't know. It's just an idea that... I, I think that's just what I sing because it feels quite nice because the, the way that lyrics are written can be a response to the way the words sound and you can have a phrase that is just you can come up with a phrase and you think I like that Are you a kind of mumble writer where you sort of like just mumble out oh, sounds yeah, yeah. and then you're like oh, yeah. oh that sounds like shadow oh, shadow yeah, it's, got to have, it's got to have intent about it though I would I would I would maybe let a lyric form as a result of the the, the phonetics of it but certainly with the last record, certainly with Insert Harperfield, it's probably one of the most focused lyrical records I've ever written because it did have a point to it. Mm. Most of the songs did have a point to them and it was less phonetically, you know, it, it was less what people talk about Bowie doing, which is throw the, basically throw the dictionary up in the air and see what comes down. Yeah. It was less like that and more, uh, that was more a focused lyric, but I always, always, always try to work with as many interesting nouns and adjectives so that I hate the cliched lyric. I try not to use the word love. I try not to dance around those same usual sentiments that are repeated and repeated and repeated in, in, in you know, a lot of pop music. On the latest album then, had you sat down with that concept? Has it involved your mother and grandmother? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, a lot of it did, yeah. Um, and you're conscious of that, and you're purposefully writing the songs from that. Not, not even as as direct. Not some of the songs cannot keep a secret, like about my mum's adoption, and the fact that she, her family, you know, they they just didn't get to know each other. You know, the adoption wasn't entirely secret, but still, my mum didn't meet her own mum till she was eighteen, and it wasn't the happiest relationship throughout their whole life, which is why. The album came about, or the title came about, that that idea that you are looking at your parents as people before they had their, before they had you, because you don't ever get to see that. You only ever get to hear about it. And 
that idea that when you know that you're about to lose a parent, because my mum died just, you know, they died in the same day, my mum and my gran. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I read that in an interview, like, within yeah. hours of each other. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, and so when, when, when this is imminent, when the loss of close, close, close family members is imminent, you become quite panicky about the fact that you haven't, you just don't know who they are. Do you really know who they are? And you, you, I mean, of course you do, but you only know a part of it. You know them as a parent. Do, I mean, do you really ever get to know your parent as any other, per, as anything else? It's a rare relationship that allows you into the parent's life not being the parent. It's hard for the child to, to get to see that. I think. And, um, did, and did that idea then inform some of the songs on the album? Yeah, it did inform. So Intermission is about my mum and dad both being really ill during one uh, a, a week, a few years back. And I'm running up and down the M6, making sure they were okay, because my dad lived in, or lives in Castle Douglas, so he was in Dumfries Hospital. And my mum was in Glasgow because they, they'd separated a long time ago. And I just remember thinking, we always assume that they were going to come out of hospital. We always assume that they will come out. And they did, that time. And then, of course, my mum, her heart disease began to really take a grip. And she was eventually admitted into a hospice um, in Glasgow. And that's when you know that it's looking, like, really terminal. But before that, before that, we are mostly afforded the confidence that, 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 that the parent comes out, you know. Um, so I ended up, yeah, just writing that, that, that idea that you're, that relationship of the carer being the parent and the cared for being the child is completely flipped. Did that, did music and writing that album help you cope with those feelings and help you digest yeah, what happened? Yeah, it would yeah, because you don't bottle them up then. You, um... You, it became an outlet yeah, for you. Yeah, it's an outlet. I, I mean, all these things sound like cliches. I mean, of course they do. That's that's what art, a lot of art, is one big massive dealing, you know, it's like a public coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of art. But um, but it's honest though. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty honest. And, honestly and you don't, coping with that and the list, listeners pick up with that. Yeah, and, and you don't, you don't quite know what, how it's going to be perceived. Mm-hmm. You really don't know how it's going to be perceived. Um, the... The creation and the the feeling of of that getting out there is is one thing. It's quite self indulgent. So you've got to temper it with creating something which is hopefully good for the listener as well. <laughs> yeah, but if if you've got a relatable idea and then you're making listenable music with exciting mm. ideas, then mm-hmm. that should hopefully come to be a good yeah, it's definitely worth. It's definitely worth it. Um, we all need to, and we all benefit from shared experience. Uh, just like you say, relatable experience. There's nothing more salving than an unexpected sharing of an experience which you have already been through. And whether it be in the radio, you know, you turn on the radio and hear someone talk about a situation, and my God, you know, if you if you've been there or anything like it, you're absolutely gripped and comforted and intrigued and horrified all at the same time. Yep. But but we are sharing our experiences in that. So the telling of stories, 
with this album is probably far more apparent than anything I've done before. Well, that brings us to the final section of the show, just before you play a song for us. And this is Plugs. So why don't you all just grab your bag. Come on board and hoist the answer. So, as we said earlier, In Search of Harperfield is out now on Chemical Underground Records. Do you have anything else that you'd like to promote besides that album? Today is now Monday, the 1st of August. Do you have any more festival dates coming up this summer? I do, I do. I'm very excited um, to be playing quite a few festivals in the rest of the rest of August, actually. I've got Green Man uh, when I come back. Great festival. Yeah. Love yeah. Green Man. Long way, long way in the van, but we'll do it. It's <laughs> going to be good. Got that. Got um, doing the rabbit hole. Closer to festival, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have got, I've got the Edinburgh International Festival uh, at the Hub, which is going to be tremendous, great fun. A real a real privilege to have been invited to play that, actually, because I think the director, I don't know his name, forget his name, but the, direct, the new director of the International Festival in Edinburgh, is nodding towards contemporary music now in a way that they didn't before. And it I must admit, it it did feel to me years ago that um, the Edinburgh International Festival was not something that I would have really gone to. And I was I was going to stuff at the fringe. I was taking part in stuff at the fringe. I did it wasn't until recently that I realised they had absolutely nothing in common. It was only... Like they weren't connected? Yeah, it was only last year that I started seeing music in Edinburgh in August yeah. At, yeah. at those sorts of concerts. Yeah. So it's it's actually... It's, it's, it's quite wonderful to be involved in this early stage of embracing, you know, Edinburgh International Festival, embracing a more contemporary culture and at the same time hoping that that audience embraces it in turn. And you never know... I'll hopefully have wanted some of my regulars or regular fans come along to it as well. So we, we're all going to be mixing up, a, mm. mixing things up a little bit. I think it's really important. It's a great thing. And I've also got electric fields as well. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds busy. And then we've also got Chemical Underground's 25th anniversary party <laughs> to, to look forward to. to. Yeah. And uh, what, about, what, what about a Delgado's reunion? Is that on the cards as well? I wouldn't Fancy say it's playing? on the cards, no. Not at no. the moment. Barrowlands. <laughs> there seems to be a few bands reforming now and yeah. playing a few sold-out shows at the Barrowlands. You're right, you're right. Could, mm-hmm. they, could that tempt the Delgado's out of retirement? Oh, I think I think, I think one one uh, Chemical Underground band um, getting together this year is, is quite enough. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, uh, would you be so kind as to play a song for us then? Sure. What song are you going to sing? I'll go. I'll I'll play the last single from the album just to bring us right back Great. up to date. It's What's called Dark called? Dark Skies, and this this song was written. I mentioned it before. This song was written for the that that production theatre production whatever gets you through the night. Back in something like two thousand twelve. And it was inspired, we, we, we were all invited to write something that was encapsulated 4am in the morning. What are we, what are we doing? Mm. And uh, Rachel Sromani was involved in this, she wasn't was, she? She was, Rachel Sromani. Previous guest of this show. Oh, really? Had to bring that up, yep. Oh, brilliant, yeah. So, I ended up writing something 
inspired by Galloway Forest Park, which is kind of where I grew up. Uh, in Castle Douglas, from the age of 10. Wasn't there my whole life. But did, the, did you visit there at 4am ever? No, I haven't. This is all imagined. Which is, I suppose, the way the way that it should be with a song. All imagined. Um, so, standing in Galloway Forest Park, which of course has dark sky status, which is a, 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 ah, yeah. a worldwide recognised status, which basically means that there's little light pollution, not mm. enough light pollution to interfere with stargazing. I've been down at the Dark Sky Observatory, which oh, is an you? Ayrshire, yeah. Oh, it's superb. Very nice. yeah. Have you? Mm-hmm. Where is that? Ayrshire, I believe. Yep. Uh, but, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure exactly where, okay. um, but it is, it, it is down several dodgy roads and I lost my licence plate. Did you? <laughs> bumping over <laughs> the ground. Yeah. Wow. And it was so cloudy, we couldn't even see the moon. Fantastic. That was that was worth a trip. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> so this this was written. This was inspired by that. Great. Let me just stand. That'll do it. The light we see is from times unknown. Put in the place the troubles we are shown. We are the root, we are the branch We are the product of a million chances Don't you love the way they dance? Above you in dark skies They'll twist the sounds up in your mouth so that the words that don't come out right We could be anywhere in this kind of dark Oh, let's be anyone Oh, let's be anyone And they gave us a stage To write our own page of history Call this design now from the only one who knows. Then go give the emperor back his clothes. Enoch, Notrick, and Valley and Glen all reflecting the stars overhead like black glass the water holds our eye not a movement not a sign of pitching leave me suspended like this while the world does its pitching to keep my fairy tales on shelves my goldilocks doesn't need explaining why can't it be just as simple as it looks don't need a sermon to balance these books staring up from the ground as the light it dumbfounds us
got this design now from the only one who knows. Then go give the emperor back his clothes. Thank you to my guest today, Emma Pollock, and thank you to you for listening. You can hear new episodes of Verse Chorus Verse on the first Monday of every month. Sorry, Garfield. So, until then, there's nothing more to say, so I'm going to stop talking. Verse Chorus Verse is a production for the Hat on Dog Network. For more information, visit hatondog.com.